Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy inspires leaders to grow their companies from startup to 40 million and beyond by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to get it done. To learn more, please go to 40strategy.com. This shout out, I don't have a particular shout out other than the fact that I actually know where Schenectady, New York is. I used to go back there in my summers to visit my family. My, my grandmother used to live there. My dad grew up in there, actually graduated from high school. And when there actually was a guest from Schenectady, I was like, you got to be kidding me. This is, I could not believe that, that there was it. And so I was so excited to meet Darren Janelle, who is our next guest. He's the founder and CEO of the Janelle Group. It's a 150-person software consulting company based in Schenectady. And what's impressive about it is that actually it's all onshore software developers. What's even more impressive is they've been actually on the Inc. 5000 list six years in a row. Darren, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. Awesome, Carl. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm fired up to be here. Yeah, calling in live from Connecticut, New York. For those of you who don't know, it's a small city about two hours north of Manhattan, big old GE city. So that's where I'm calling in from. And I'm excited to be here, Carl. Yeah, no, I, one, I'm excited because when I used to go back into old Schenectady, it was more of the old GE town. Things had changed a lot. When my dad had graduated, it was a thriving community. GE had some changes. It had a little bit of downturn, but there is a beautiful suburb for those who are watching on YouTube right behind you. The city looks beautiful. It's actually blue skies, which of course, it's always that way in Schenectady. Of course, we're halfway joking, And uh, but at least it's a beautiful fall today. My dad used to joke um, fall in upstate New York is the best two weeks of the year. <laughs> it looks like you're getting a better... Better fall this year, which is tremendous. Darren, tell us a little bit more about your company. Sure. Yeah. So Janelle Group, we are a custom software development shop. So we basically, we build custom software for businesses. If they can't find something off the shelf that meets their needs, they'll call us in and we'll build it for them. Sometimes the majority of the time we'll come in and supplement an already existing software development team. So think of larger companies that already have engineers and project managers. They'll come to us for some more talent, some more firepower, maybe one, two, maybe five or 10 people, a few engineers, a project manager, designer will supplement their team. And then about 25% of our work is we'll do the entire project for them. Maybe they don't have an in-house team. Maybe it's a startup business. They'll come to us. We'll help them right from ideation to design, to developing it and actually putting it in production and supporting it. Basically, when you think of Janelle Group, think of nerds, software nerds. We are talent for hire. That's what we do. We sell our time for money here, Carl. So um, how did you get into this business? What drove you to get excited to, I'm going to, I'm going to start up a software company. So I, yeah, going through college, growing up, my, my brother is my co-founder. So I'll be referring to my brother a lot, Jason. So Jay and I grew up playing sports here in Schenectady, basketball in particular, very serious about it, played through right through college. And at the end of college, it's like, all right, this is over now. What do I do next? And I didn't know anything about software development. And I actually talked my way into a job as a software engineer on Wall Street down in New York City. A buddy of mine had a job there and I went down and I just started yelling at the 
lady in the interview going, you never, you got no one that works like me. I'll do 80 hours a week. And they gave me an aptitude test. I did fairly well on it. And they put me in a training course and I just took to it. I loved it. Got my brother down there the next year. He did the same thing. And so we were software engineers for about eight, nine years on Wall Street, doing financial services type stuff, really nerdy, coding every day, all day. And so we, it was just my first job and we fell in love with it and it really spoke to us. And so that's how we got into the field. And we always knew we wanted to be entrepreneurs. We started some really awful startups in the early years. I can dive into some of those if you want. And then uh, around 2012 is when we started building software for other companies. And it was just my brother and I, and actually another woman who's still here with us now, Jesse, it was just the three of us. And we've been able to scale the team up over the last 10 years to, to about 150 people and it's going really well. So that's the story in a nutshell. So I think a lot of times, let's talk about some of those early years, because I, I think it's super interesting. So many people want to have a business. They want to run a business. But it's one thing having you and your brother and your first trusted companion, right? It's another thing all of a sudden to bring on the fourth and the fifth and the sixth person. What did you do from the early years to go, were you intentional? Let me ask that. Were you intentional or was it just, gosh, we need, a, we need another software engineer to help us to be able to do work? What got you to that point where you felt comfortable you could start hiring and start scaling? Sure. So yeah, we've always, or at least me, right? I'm very driven. My brother's a little bit more conservative. He's also extremely driven, but I'm usually the one pushing the envelope. So the idea of running larger organization, that was in me since I was little. So we had always wanted to do that. And for the around 2002 to 2012, so about a 10-year period, we were doing startups and trying to get there, but we just, we'd hire somebody, we'd have to fire them or lay them off. And like, we could never get over the hump because our business model was, it just wasn't working. In 2012, that's when we started to listen. Like we were trying to create products that first 10 years. And we were getting calls from people in our network, people saying, hey, will you build this software for my company? We know you guys are good at building this. We know you're complete freaking psychopaths. And if you say you're going to do something, you're going to deliver. Will you do this for us? And we turned it down all these years. And then in 2012, when we just said, maybe we're not going to get this over the hump, these products and we started accepting jobs, it just happened organically, right? And so we're like, oh, wow, this is actually working. And as, as more work came in, the plan always was to scale, right? To hire more and build a team. We've always wanted to do, again, we come from that sports background. We always wanted to build a special team, a special culture, like we got to experience as young athletes. And so that was always the plan. Now, how did we go about it and the different learnings at different numbers of people? Those were very painful times and some harsh lessons. And again, I'd be happy to dive into any of those if you want me to, Carl. Yeah, let, yeah, because I think it's kind of be interesting. We do some brief like little synopsis. So let's think about that, that first 10 people, right? Yeah. You know, yes. what was the big lesson of getting kind of 210 or right around that 10 period, what did you have to do differently from when it just was a few of you? Yeah, I, there are different milestones. That first employee you hire is a huge milestone. Like it changes everything. And then, but then hiring two, three, four, to me, it didn't feel much different. It was just kind of like, all right, let's do that again and again. But then as you get maybe to seven, eight, nine, 10, now you're starting to feel, it's not just, we can't just keep adding another. Now there's eight people, nine people that want to have a review. They all want our time. They want, and we had to start put, putting systems in place to be able to make sure we're able to invest in each of these folks. We're able to get work done ourselves because that was back in the days when we were still, my brother and I 
We're still grinding on all the projects. I can't spend time just managing everyone. I got work to do too. And there were many days, right? I'd call my wife at five o'clock PM. She'd be like, oh, you coming home? I'm like, actually, I'm, I'm about to start my work day because I spent the first eight hours managing, leading, doing all of the things that I didn't really realize had to be done. And then I'd actually have to start my own personal work at five o'clock. And so maybe there are some listeners out there that can relate to that and have felt that pain, or they come in like super early. They start their day at 5 a.m. because it's the only time they can get work done. We definitely were in that phase in the early days. And then around 10 is when, okay, now we have to reinvent this organization. We got to restructure things. And we started to bring in some more senior people that could help a lot of our younger, a lot of our people in the early days were younger folks. That's all we could afford, right? And so I think around eight, nine, 10 is where that we hit that breaking point and said, okay, we got to get some other senior folks and start to spread this burden out. So you get to the senior par. And so what to you was that next big step where all of a sudden you hit another, what I call obstacle, where it's like you figured it out. You know, you need a couple of senior level people to manage the team around you. When was that? Was it 50 people? Was it 70 for 25 people? I'm curious. When did you hit this? Oh crap. We're running over our head again. Yeah. And you must hear these numbers a lot. This is something like I actually like I pay attention to a ton when I'm talking to other business owners. I find these are good general rules, right? Employee number one, big deal. Around 10, around 30, 75, and 150. That's what I've seen. We're literally at 150 now, and we're going through another one of these kind of metamorphosis periods. Did I use that word correctly, Carl? That's a big word for me. I don't know if I use that word. Correctly. I don't know. Is this a butterfly coming out of it? <laughs> but you got to reinvent the organization, right? So after 10, that next number was about 30. And that's when it's, oh, what worked for us from 10 to 25 is it's starting to break down again. And the clear thing is when you start to feel the pain, it's okay. I know when it's time to change. Now, how the heck do you fix it? That's a, that's a tough question. And there aren't regular people you can ask this to, right? This is when you got to get into the business networks. I'm in an organization called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. I'm also in Vistage. But back in the day, I wasn't in either of those groups. And so we, my brother and I are figuring this out on our own. We both did grad schooling at NYU and we got fancy degrees and stuff, but it didn't actually teach us that stuff. So we were, oh, we were figuring it out on the way, on the fly. Once I hit about 45, 40, 50 people, that's when I started joining those organizations. And then it became so much easier. Let me talk to the 150 person business owner. And he's going to say, oh yeah, I know what you're going through. And here are some of the things I did. So long-winded answer, but I think 30 was that next milestone, Carl. Yeah. And now I'm going to skip up for a minute because you're at an interesting other point, which is 150. 150 is the point where you may know this already, but military companies will typically not get more than 200 people. And the reason for that is you, you can't actually know the human mind. Most human minds cannot recognize and remember over about 200 people. And so actually a lot of organizations they do, they stop growing at between 150 and 200 people because of that fact. So as you're looking at this potential next growth, because you've been six times already, I think 5,000, for you to continue to grow and be on that list, you're going to have to hit a new barrier. Mm. What are you seeing right now is that, how do you deal with that fact? Everybody's not going to know each other anymore. They're not going to be able to trust each other anymore. How do you create that scale on that next level? So people feel like, oh, okay, we're going to, we're going to find a way to do it. What's been, I don't know, what are you working on right now to help get to yeah. that next point? My, my. True 100% honest answer is, I don't know yet, but I do think we're getting there, right? Going through 
our process. We're talking to other businesses who have broken through this, through this period. And I think we've got some good plans. The biggest thing we're struggling with right now is we've got, as we've grown this big, we've got many people on the team that don't really feel like if you ask them who they report to, they just go, I don't really know. We've always been a very flat organization. Um, and we're at the point now where we're looking to start to implement like the middle layer of leadership. We're going to start with our engineering group, our engineering team, and try to get some folks in there that some seasoned people who've been around the block who can be caretakers and really look after. And the term I like, I like that, that they used was, I think, talent advocate, to be an advocate for these folks and help them with their career path, their career ladder, what's next, training opportunities, helping them level up and scale up. Kind of the way we help people when we were smaller and they, everybody was working with somebody on the leadership team. Now we've gotten too far. So we're looking to put that, that middle layer in there, Carl. We haven't done it yet. We're literally just, we just had our offsite last week and we're trying to figure this out. And it's scary, man. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I'm very, I don't know, nervous is not the right word. Maybe anxious about it. And because we got to get this right. This is the next key thing for us to roll out. And so we are maniacally focused on trying to get the right people in those roles and figure out what does that role look like? So hopefully that addressed that. No, I think it is. And really, I love the thought process you have going with this because you're. this happens in a lot of different industries, right? There's the people who do the things that really make you money, i.e. software development in your case, right? Yeah. But people writing code and delivering good solutions, that's why you get paid. But now you may have to hire and probably are hiring people who cannot or were not able to do software code, but they're really good managers. So that is purely overhead by definition. It's yeah. just a added layer of cost. However, you can't get to the next level without that person to help get you there. You need the right type of skills, right? To, and the ability to be able to communicate and have people love a culture that are, we'll go to this a little bit, because I recall in our prep conversation we had in this, you have people who are working in, in, in your office, but you also have remote employees throughout the US, people who are working remotely throughout that part. So let's talk about, let's talk about that piece right now. Okay. So COVID happened, right? You, beforehand, I think you had a lot of people that were working in, in, in the office. COVID happens, you distribute. And then there was that, what do we do next? And so many companies have struggled with what to do next. What did you all do that worked really well when you felt other companies were floundering in their decision-making from the management team as to how do you handle this working in the office versus not working in the office, et cetera. Sure. So we're in our field, we're lucky enough that people can work remote and we're working remotely for all of our clients, basically. So when COVID happened, we had just moved into this amazing headquarters. We were so excited. We've been waiting for years to get in here. Literally two weeks after we moved in is when COVID shutdown happened. And I got to be honest, Carl, we did not skip a beat. Everybody just worked from home. We did better than ever. People weren't taking vacation, right? So we were billing like crazy I hate to say that, but it's true. And we did not skip a beat. Now, once kind of COVID started to wind down, we've always made everything optional. If you want to come back to the office, you can. If you don't, do whatever you want. So of our 150 people, about 50 of them are true remote, like not even within driving distance of headquarters. So they work from home anyway. So they're, they were unaffected by this. But of our hundred people that live within an hour drive of here, I'd say only about half of them come in every day. 
right? So we have about 50 people in the office. When in the old days, all of them would have come in or most of them would have come in almost every day. But we've always had a philosophy at Janelle Group. We treat our people, if you're talented, we treat you like a star athlete, right? What does LeBron do in the off season? He does whatever he wants to do, right? LeBron makes the rules. And that's the way we treat our people. So if you want to work remotely, you can. If you want to work a couple of days a week in office, whatever you want to do. We got one guy who's a digital nomad. I don't know if you're familiar with this term, but he just did two months in Hawaii and then he moved to California. And now I, I don't even know where he is right now, but he calls in remotely and he doesn't mind. I got guys that you could probably see in my background somewhere. I got a guy who lives in this building over here. We, I haven't seen him in two years, but if he's happy and that's what he wants to do, that's absolutely fine. So we've, it's a choose your own adventure here at Janelle Group. And we, we bow down to the talent, whatever, however they want to play it. One of the concerns a lot of times of management, though, is effectiveness. So how have you been able to evaluate effectiveness when you have people distributed all throughout and then you have people here? How has that changed your ability to be able to evaluate whether they're being effective coders and being effective billable time for your clients? Yeah. That one's again, relatively easy. We're lucky that we're in this type of field. What type of features are you delivering? Are your software projects moving forward? Can I guarantee that gentleman worked eight hours? No, I can't, but I can, we can guarantee if they're giving you eight hours worth of value. I like to hope that our people are putting in their time the way they say they are. We have good people. I trust them. But honestly, a guy could work six hours a day, probably say, Hey, I did eight. And he's, he's just, he's a great programmer. We're, we need to provide that value, that clear ROI to the client when they say, look, I'm paying X dollars for this resource and man, I'm getting my money's worth because they're killing it. And we almost would want them to have that same mentality of like I said, he built eight hours. Do I really care if he did it in four or not? I don't know. I know that I'm getting value for, the, for this person. And it's actually pretty, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's very transparent. We have a, a good pulse on all of our projects and we're getting that good, clear feedback. If there's any questions about your performance or like you're not delivering value, well, then you either got to get into the office or you got to get out of here, right? And, and then that goes back to what type of people are you bringing in, which is our whole recruiting engine and all of that. But it really hasn't been too, too much of a pain point for us. So let's touch on that recruiting engine. That's such an important part of the hiring is bringing in the right type of people, right? They're going to make a real significant difference for you and really match your culture that you have. What are you doing differently, right? That that people, when they interview with you, they're like, this seems different. They seem like a place that I trust and I want to be at. Yeah. First of all, Carl, it starts with our recruiting engine, right? We recruit like a college football program. We just blow this up. This year, we're going to vet 150,000 people. When I wow. say that, that's a quick LinkedIn stalking, a resume review or something. That's what I'm talking about by vetting them. But of those, we're going to interview 1,500 people. 1,500 people are going to be interviewed here to hire about 60 or 70. So wow. when you talk about that type of funnel, there are superstars coming out of the bottom of that funnel, right? We are fantastic. We are freaking world-class at recruiting, identifying talent, and bringing them in here, Right. That, how would you build a great football program? You got to start with talented players that match your core values. If I just put an ad out, right? So, sometimes I hear somebody complaining about, oh, I can't hire anybody. And I'm like, what did you do? And they're like, I posted the job. Imagine a college football coach posting the job for quarterback. I'm looking for a 6'6 guy, weighs 240, ridiculous arm, runs a 4'4'40. And I put that on Craigslist? Come on, man. There's only seven of those quarterbacks in the country. You got to find them. You got to go 
go get them, right? And so we're headhunting, we're finding the talent and we're going after them, right? Many of these folks are not looking for, they're not looking for a new gig. If you're a star, somebody probably has identified you as that and you have a great job already. So we just start a relationship with them. We show them what we're doing. We share the vision and we say, look, we just want to be at the top of your list if and when it's time for you to change jobs. Maybe two years from now, maybe five years from now, Carl, you're going to say, it's time for a change. This is getting a little old or something happens or you get bought out or who knows. I want to be number one on the list of people you call. And then when you do, we're going to blow you up. We're going to fly you in here. We're going to get here. We're going to roll out the red carpet. We're going to share this energy, this passion, this team, this culture with you. And you're going to say, shit, why didn't I come here five years ago? So we look at it completely different. I think companies have it upside down when they're like, they're interviewing someone, they're asking the tough, hard hitting question. And it's all about them showing dominance. And I'm not saying we don't ask tough questions, but if you have a star, it's about you selling yourself to them. It's they're not interviewing, you're interviewing, right? Think if I'm recruiting and I find the star quarterback and I'm starting to ask him questions. Well, do you get up at five in the morning and run? The guy's going to be like, no, I don't need to. I'm a superstar. I don't do that. It's up to me to sell my school to that guy. And that's the way, that's the way we look at recruiting. I know I just went off on you. Hopefully I'm addressing your question. No, I love it. No. So what I, my reflections of what you just said there, because I, I, this is what I do is I talk with top leaders on a regular basis. But then I talk with the people who aren't on the podcast and I'll get in these circles of people. I can't find anybody to hire. Nobody wants to come work for me. Yeah. And you just nailed it there. You work hard at finding and looking out for the people that fit you. And then you are doing this ahead of time. So you have a pipeline of talent that are going to be able to come in when you need them. As opposed to the, once again, this, I put one ad out type thing, or I hired one recruiter and hope it works. Yeah. Yeah. You have a hold. Now I am curious about that. So do you have internal recruiters that are doing this work and effort? Is that how you end up? Is that part of your recruiting massive engine how you get this to work? Yeah, absolutely. We have six full-time recruiters in-house. Wow. And Carl, we'll blow you up, man. We're going to do this so differently. When you think about a movie scene, right? When the star sales guy or business, whatever, right? How are they getting recruited? The guy takes them, takes them out to a really amazing dinner and an experience and they're wooing them, wowing them. They're trying to, they're putting their best foot forward. They're showing them how important and special they are. That's the way we recruit. You're not going to get the guy by going, oh, you want to come over? It's pretty cool. We work overtime here, and but you could get a bonus, and I'm giving some half-ass sales pitch. No, I'm going to blow you up and show you that this place is world-class. We don't, our people don't work for us. We work for our people. That's my only job. How do I keep adding star players and then putting our leadership team in a place where we serve them? If we do that, they'll stay. And if they stay, that'll attract more stars, and that will attract more work. As soon as you put a star into a company and he delivers for them, that company's immediately going to go, do you have more of these folks? And I go, as a matter of fact, we do. So that's kind of, it's a completely different mindset, right? You said, you talk about these guys complaining. How many people did you interview? And they're like eight. And you're like, did you say eight? Dude, come on, man. You got to interview 80 people, 80. And they're like, I don't have time for that. Then I'm like, well, then you don't have time to build a good team. It's like going to your trainer. I don't have time to work out. Okay, then you're not going to be fit. It's end of story. Done. This is easy, right? <laughs> I, so you glossed over for a second there something really important point. I remember when I was getting recruiting by public accounting firms, and I went through this really cool recruiting process where I had all the big firms and they were whining and dining me. Matter of fact, do you remember Beverly Hills Cop? 
Yeah. Remember when the Terry Cloth robes were, were okay, Eddie Murphy? He was like, yeah, can yeah. I get that? You know, can I get the robe? He was like trying to steal him and put him in the suitcase. I mentioned that. And sure enough, after I mentioned it, I was at the Heathman Hotel down in Portland. They actually flew me down, go to an NBA basketball game. After the game, after beautiful dinner, they were like, hey, uh, I, was like, I was half joking. I was like, you know that Terry Cloth robes they have up there? I'm not kidding. Five minutes later, after they left, the bellhop comes up. Here is your Terry Cloth robe. I signed the deal. I had all these different offers out. Nailed it. They crushed it. And and But now there's this next part, right? You get wine and dine, you believe, and then you actually have to go to work for them. Okay. So the next part of the big thing is retention and getting that excitement to carry over. So people actually want to stay and they become your best recruiters, if you may, in the future, not only for the clients, but internally for other employees. What do you do there? What's your secret sauce there to have that great culture that people actually love working for you? Yeah. First off, I love that story. I'm going to buy one of those robes and sending it to somebody we're recruiting just cause he's going to be like, why'd you send me a robe, dude? I'll be like, don't, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I love that. And you signed, oh man, you got me jacked up. Well, that's a great example of kind of what that type of mentality we're talking about, but you're right. You talk all this smack in the recruiting process and then you get them in here. It cannot be a bait and switch. Cause if it is, then it's like, all right, then I'm out of here. So first and foremost, the first, the main thing that we promise people is you're going to work with other good people. We have awesome people here. We have a no a-holes policy strict. You're an a-hole, you're gone immediately. You're going to work in a happy environment, right? And we're here to serve you. So then when they come in, we partner with our people so that they can architect the life that they want to build and lead. And that's different for everybody, Carl. So for example, we have Jesse, our first employee. It was my brother, I, and Jesse. And Jesse is now our director of employee engagement. And so she's connecting with the people as they come in and you might be a 45-year-old guy who's got three kids at home and you work remote, but you're gonna what you're gonna want from Janelle Group is gonna be completely different than the 23-year-old who just graduated, who is looking to build her career and climb the ladder as fast as she can, right? She wanna grind, she wants to go faster, she wants more opportunity. The 45-year-old dude with three kids, he wants to work life balance, good, he wants to work with good work and good people. But um, and so that's what it's about is coming alongside them and making sure that they can structure the life that is ideal for them. All of our culture stuff, it's all a self-serve buffet, Carl. If you want to do this, do it. It's awesome. It'll be fun. And you can lean in and have a good time. If you don't want this or that, that's fine. And if you don't want any of it, that's fine. I think that's really unique about us. A lot of companies that have a really intense culture, it's all or nothing. Drink the Kool-Aid or be an outcast weirdo. Here, we have probably 30, 40 people, Carl. Most of them are like fully remote folks, but they're just like, dude, you can keep all that. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want to come to headquarters and drink beers and act like a gorilla like you idiots. I'll just go do my own thing. Give me good work with good people. And I'm happy. And they've been here for five years, right? And some people want some of it. Some people want all of it. And then some people who are all in on the culture Maybe their life circumstances change. Maybe they get married. They have a kid. The guy who used to be at every event now only comes once a month. But it's this is a long-winded answer. I know I'm going on and on here, but it all boils back to this one key. Are they connected with people here at Janelle Group? Even the person who's like, you can keep your culture. I don't want any of that. Do they have people on their team, on their project? Are they connected? Are they starting to create relationships and bonds Because that's what keeps you at a job are your relationships, your team, the people you're going to battle with, right? And so 
I think we're really good at manufacturing an environment where those bonds and connections can happen organically. That's awesome. No, I, this is, I, once again, I love what you're talking, the two different parts here of you, once again, you go back to the beginning, right, of, of the recruiting and have this wow experience. And then you're creating a dream employee type, if you may have heard that concept, you basically after your one of my friends, Scott Ballard, who's a great coach and employee, he helps put this into companies, right? This stop thinking about it, what's in it for us, the employer, think about it, what the employee wants and what their individual future is. Because whenever we think what you've done, which is great, is often like we're hiring a bunch of, let's say, see customer service employees, right? And we just assume they're all customer service employees and they all just do the same thing, but that's not true. They all have a different background with a different experience and different skills that they can add value or not. And then also they have their own personal things that they care about, right? At the end of the day, you know, that matter. And we can match those together, what they're greatest in the world at, if you may, and then be combined with what they want to do in their life. And then we can actually see how they maximize their talent within the company. It's, it's the dream thing. I'm so happy that you found that because it's such a rare thing. Yeah. I love the way you say that, Carl. And this is, can be a painful one. Sometimes as you're helping them steer their career in their life, sometimes they should move on. Sometimes they, yeah. it's, oh, this yeah. actually isn't a great fit for you. And it's, they're like, are you firing me? It's no, you're here forever. I'll just keep you on for 10 more years, but maybe you're not meant to be a software engineer, or maybe you're, don't you feel that you want to do this marketing thing, whatever it is, this hasn't happened a ton with us, but there's been probably a handful of people over the years where we've helped them get a job in a completely different industry. We're still there to serve them. If somebody comes in here, works for six months, a year, and then ends up leaving, either they jump for more money, they go to a better opportunity, they go to a completely different industry. If they leave here and say, I'm better off for my time I spent at Janelle Group, then I look at that as a victory, as a win. We help them level up. That's what we're here to do. Now, it still hurts, and that makes me sad when people move on. Um, and then even selfishly, especially if the person's billing, and then they like jump for more money, it's like, oh, shoot, we took a hit to our bottom line. But the more people you help, the more your more fulfilling life is, and the better your business will do in the long run. Because then that person that you help six years from now, they're going to be a VP at a new company and they're going to send you a million dollar project. Not, it's not why we help them, but that just happens organically and naturally. So I love what you're saying. Yeah. I always get concerned when organizations say I want zero turnover. Yeah. Not really? You yeah. mean you, you aren't willing to help somebody out who's in your company to get a greater opportunity? And and then the other part is you don't ever actually correct anybody. It's like, I don't get that. It's like, there's a proper amount, right? There's an effective amount. And if we actually care about them. Like you said, it hurts, but it should be a good hurt that, that they're at a better place. And I love that long-term aspect of you never know where they're going to circle back and say, I was, I said, I was there a few years, but man, greatest, greatest experience I ever had. And I'd recommend anybody to go to that. That's great. I love that. Yep. Okay. So how, I would love to ask a question while we're calling the Measure Science Podcast, how do you measure success in your business? Yeah, so to what I just said, I measure the success of my life this way and then thus the business. It is the number of people and the extent to which I can, we can, the business can have a positive impact on them, right? If I had a million dollars and I gave a dollar to a million people, I affected a million people positively. That's cool. Or if I gave a million dollars to one person, now I had such an impact on that one person. So it's really trying to maximize that in every way 
possible? Can we help people level up, steer their career, earn more money? We're help, we're trying to help them save money. We've got guys with side hustle businesses. We've got people doing real estate on the side and rentals. And my, my goal, my dream would be to have a hundred millionaires here someday at Janelle Group, a hundred people at Janelle Group. And maybe they're not all still at Janelle Group. They worked at Janelle Group at once over the one time over the years there and they're millionaires, seven figures, net worth. Maybe it's rentals. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe they're still here and they're making crazy amount of money. That's how we measure success. And then that just like the talent thing, if you keep getting good talent and bringing them in, good things will happen. If you keep helping people achieve and have a positive impact on their life, selfishly, that's going to come back and help me help the organization. And it's just the way I choose to live my freaking life. Even if it doesn't come back, it just makes, that's the way I get, I, I get enjoyment out of life, Carl. So that's how we measure it here, I think. And that has permeated throughout the entire organization. I love it. I love how you go towards that. And thank you so much. I just love the concept, the measurement, how you care. And it once again, it's driving to the success that you've had. But now let's go to the personal side of it, right? You've already said, I, I already measured my personal side, but you personally, we don't have any slackers that come to the show. You already said you were an athlete growing up and you, you clearly have this passion behind what you do that you brought into your business life. What habits do you consistently do on a regular basis today to maximize your effectiveness or your outpour to make sure you're bringing it your all every single day? Sure. My, the number one that comes to mind is immediately when I wake up, first thing I do every day, I go right into YouTube and I start with the motivational stuff, the self-help, the atomic habits, Christian pastor or whatever. I control what I put into my head as soon as I wake up. My poor wife, imagine the alarm goes off and then you got Tony Robbins chirping in your ear. She's trying to sleep. She's like, dude, do you ever turn the shit off? And I'm like, no, as a matter of fact, I don't. And we're going to crank the intensity up, Carl. <laughs> and so that's how I choose to what goes on in my head. I brainwash myself, right? And then I go down in the basement. I do this about three, four days a week. I got a weight room down there. You've never seen anything like it. We call it the Russian prison. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Carl, listen, we got asbestos down there. We got bats down there. There's spiders the size of, of rats down there, right? It's I got an old house from 1909. It was built and we go, people go, you choose to go down here? No one on earth would choose to go down here. I choose to go down to the freaking Russian prison and start moving steel. I get my day going. Sometimes I record a video from down there and people like, dude, you belong in a straight jacket. And I'm like, maybe I do, but I'm trying to get ready to go. So when I leave there, right, and I come back up to start now to start, I guess, start my day, the work day, mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm already up. I've already got some good stuff in my head. I got energy. I got fit. I chose to go to the Russian prison. Everything else is going to be better than down there the rest of the day. So those are some like quick things that come to mind. And, and I carry on. You see my energy, right? My yeah. I got four kids. My One of my sons is a 16-year-old. And when I go down there, I'm, they're getting ready for school. I'm like pushing them in the head. I'm going to war. And he goes, Dad, do you ever one time could you go down there without carrying on like an idiot? And I was like, Nope. Glad your kids keep you as humble as my kids do as well. And you did remind me, forgive me, of this very inappropriate shout in between, but this just happened. You appreciate this being college sports. My daughter, Abby, just announced officially today that she's going to verbally commit to TCU to play soccer there. So, oh my goodness, that's a high level, sir. You must be a very proud papa. We're we're very grateful. She's done the hard work, anyways. I forgive me the late shout out there, but Abby, 
I will make sure you hear this particular podcast. And of course, I don't want to listen to your podcast, dad. But anyways, it just, but what awesome, but why I bring all that up is it's awesome. Once again, you brought up, now you've got a family here. You like, so you're bringing it. I'm crazy. You just said you drive your drive my family a bit crazy too. My kids are like, why do you do keep doing this? Why do you, why are you waking up early? I just want to go to sleep. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Okay, I'll just be realistic. There's got to be a day or two. You're just like, I don't want to wake up. Oh, sure. So what do you do? What do you do? How do you like make sure that you overcome that desire to like fall asleep, go back to sleep again? Yeah, it actually, believe it or not, as high energy as I am, first of all, I, that the story about the horned frogs gets me excited, man. TCU, you got to be so, I love hearing stuff like that. But I do, as, despite me being so high energy and I work a ton and I'm, I'm this kind of like crazy person, I also do structure in a ton of chill time for myself too. Today was not a workout day right? I, Cause I had done my workouts earlier in the week. So I woke up at 8, 15 AM. That's like pretty late for a high energy guy like myself. I live, you can probably see my house over here. I got to the office by nine, started my day. It was pretty easy. Tomorrow was like a college football day. I'll watch with my family and like, I'll probably, so I'll probably spend six hours watching TV tomorrow. So I really go out of my way to structure in some lazy time, some chill time. I love drinking. I love coaching my kids sports. So I'm always on the go, but not always the go can be like easy sometimes yeah, and so yeah. i think that that's how i balance it and i think I, I have a good ability to like turn work off in my mind even if in the middle of it i got a work call something intense i'll jump on i'll go after it hang the phone up i'm back to laughing joking having fun i think that's maybe a gift that god gave me yeah no i'll just say this for those listeners a little pro tip to us high achievers that are listening right now because once again there's not many slackers that listen to a show like this but sometimes you actually have to check a box that I'm going to watch a game or I'm going to coach or I'm going to spend time with the family and chill as success. Yeah. Because like we feel like we have to grind every single moment, but no, we need those periods of rest for lack of a better term. However, what rest brings us, whether it's being in solitude or whether it's going to a football game, like literally being in person, knowing that to have that energy to bring you back, I think is so huge. And I'm glad that you've have that, put that into your life, the day-to-day -day regular work where you didn't feel guilty of sleeping in quote unquote today to yeah, versus yeah. other things you have going on. Yeah. What's a book that you'd recommend for our audience that really inspired you or change your mindset and what you do on a regular basis? I'd say in terms of, to answer that specific question, I would choose Atomic Habits by James Clear. That, that book is really powerful, right? Really, all we are is what are our habits and our disciplines and the stuff we do every day. That's really what leads to everything, right? And so that book did a good job of describing and putting vocabulary to these things that were in my head and maybe through the sports brainwashing for the last 40 years. I feel like I've got some, some good vocabulary around it now. And that book really spoke to me. And I've listened to it a couple of times. I listen to his speeches, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you ever read that one, Carl? Oh, absolutely. It's a classic. I'm not sure if we call it classic, but it is one of the, it's a regular, you're not the first person to guess who's recommended that book. It is, yeah. it is a fantastic book. It's life is more about habits than it is about discipline which yeah. I think they do a great job of talking about in that in there, right? Is that that yeah. it, 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 we do strengths finder here and people believe all we need to be disciplined. And I, I said, you're unlikely to be naturally talentedly disciplined, but if you can change your habits, you could change your life. I love that. I'm going to take us off. I hope I don't ruin this. There's this guy, Dr. Rao, and he talks about 
It's not about the, I used to be, and I still am very goal oriented. I set the goal. I work to the goal. If I get the goal, good. If I don't, that's bad. I didn't achieve it. This guy, Dr. Rao and James Clear gets into this a bit. It's not actually about the goal. Set the goal so you've got a North Star. Now it's about the daily habits and the disciplines and moving towards that. It's the journey that's the thing. And if you don't get there, then that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. You just made up a goal. It's who knows if my goal was to get to the NBA. I didn't make it. But now with hindsight, I can look, well, I was still able to become a college player. And I think I maximized my ability. I'm so proud of what I did. But my younger self could not like possibly wrap my head around that. It's not about the goal. It's about the journey. So hopefully that resonates. You know, totally does Darren. And we have to end unfortunately because of constraints of time, but perhaps you'd agree to be on again, because I think there's so much more you could bring to our audience. And I just love what you're doing on a regular basis. How can people learn more about you to connect with the Janelle group or yourself? Yeah, sure. Feel free to hit up my website, darrenjanelle.com, D-A-R-I-N-J-A-H-N-E-L.com. If you want a speaker, someone to come in, talk about culture, building special teams, recruiting, that's kind of my forte, or you just want to reach out with some comments or hit up our website, janellegroup.com. That's our company. I'm not really selling anything. I just want to share uh, share our energy, our story, our passion, and hopefully some people got some value out of this. I get a ton of value out of these things when I hear other folks doing it. So I'm just trying to do the same. So thanks for the ability to, or the opportunity to plug. Absolutely. Darren, it has been an absolute joy to have you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carl. And to all of our listeners, we just thank you for your continued support. We please encourage you to, you've got us into being the top one and a half percent of podcasts with your ratings and with your continued support. We want to keep on climbing that. The why is because we want to make a difference. We want to reach out to, just like Darren said, we want to reach out to a million people, make a difference. And this podcast is one of those ways we're making a difference. So thank you for support. And with that, we wish you the success, the very best to measure your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.